Hanukkah. 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 You're listening to Hanukkah Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Paige Willett and Adesh Nakas, Borewadme Ndao. I'm your host, Paige Willett, CPN tribal member and employee. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and rate us. This episode discusses CPN Health Service's new telehealth platform for all tribal members in the U.S., makes a visit to a recent opioid overdose awareness event held by CPN Behavioral Health Services, and talks with District 7 legislator Mark Johnson about his re-election in June. Citizen Potawatomi Nation Vice Chairman Linda Capps wanted to offer health services to tribal members anywhere in the United States, and that need significantly increased during the coronavirus pandemic. She and a team of CPN staff worked with Call a Doctor Plus to develop and implement CPN Care, the tribe's new telehealth service. When CPN tribal member Theo Alasio was hit by illness shortly after losing her health insurance, she turned to the new virtual service for help, even though she doesn't live near tribal headquarters or health clinics in Oklahoma. From her home near Chicago, Illinois, she accessed CPN Care, which provides access to virtual health care for free to tribal members, their spouses, and their dependents, despite not ever having used CPN health services. It is a very quick process. Um, Whenever you make an appointment, you will talk to a doctor in about five to 10 minutes. Uh, It's free. I I think it's just a really awesome tool to have and um, you don't have to rely on it to use it. So I very much suggest uh, just trying it out. CPN Care became available January 1st of this year and offers phone and video call appointments on the spot to those with an account. It also provides access to some counseling and mental health services via phone and video, as well as a platform for reduced medication and prescription costs, both of which Call a Doctor CEO Lou Daniels believes are particularly important. Over time, uh, benefits have been become more expensive, the cost for families to be able to provide these benefits. And Mrs. Capps saw virtual care as a way to do this in a very cost-effective way, to deliver a program with really zero cost to the members. They can use it as often as they'd like. Now tribal members anywhere in the country can complete an easy two-step registration process using their tribal ID and access a doctor via the Ally Health smartphone application whenever they need care. CPN Health Services became one of the first tribes Call Doctor Plus worked with to develop a unique service for its members. Chief Operating Officer Jonathan Hochman said they anticipate working with more Native nations in the future and enjoy helping them reach everyone in their communities, no matter where they live or travel. I think the fact that it's really early in terms of um, the adoption across the board with with other tribal nations, um, seeing CPN at, at the forefront of that, um, I think it really shows Ms. Caps' innovation and her forward-thinking ability. CPN Care makes doctors available 24 hours a day, seven days a week via the app. On their website, Call a Doctor Plus boasts a 10-minute average callback time and a 92% success rate at resolving patient issues on the first call. Daniel says that means savings on time and money. Quite a bit of time because you don't have to lose time at work or 
time at home to get to a, a facility to be checked out and, and money because it is a zero copay, unlimited, no deductible program. So nothing comes out of your pocket. Call a doctor plus lists sinus problems, ear infections, nasal congestions, allergies, pink eye, and upper respiratory infections as some of the most common diagnoses via their services. CPN Care has the potential to reduce trips to urgent care or primary care providers for common ailments. Users also have the ability to access a physician as soon as symptoms appear, which Hochman considers a huge advantage. Getting people that care right at the point of need is critical because that's going to shorten the cycle of that illness. So if you don't have to wait you know, a couple days to schedule an appointment, go sit in a doctor's office. If the doctor decides to provide a prescription during an appointment, they put that request into a pharmacy with the medication in stock near the patient. Alasia experienced a sudden onset of allergy symptoms one day and received medication in a snap after using CPN care. In the minute we got home from work, I just called the doctor, was able to get back in the car and go pick up the prescription and just go to bed. And it's, it's very nice to not have to take that extra trip to urgent care or make an appointment. Hochman said a high-quality user experience is their sole focus. Daniels agrees and notes that sometimes users question the expertise and skills of a doctor via telemedicine, which keeps them from utilizing those services. However, he assures CPN Care users it puts them in contact with qualified medical professionals. You are speaking to a real U.S.-based, U.S. board-certified doctor uh, that has minimum 15 years experience, that's been vetted by MD Live over a three-month period before they can even come on the network. The doctor you speak to is going to be somebody that's in the state that you're in because Typically, only a doctor in your state can prescribe, and these doctors can't prescribe. During a call, Alasia's doctor directed her through a self-examination to diagnose a throat infection while asking her about what medications she had taken up to that point. In the end, she felt the doctor on the other end really listened to her. She really wanted to make sure that it wasn't anything uh, else. She was very slow and patient with it, just kind of like, you know, you take the two fingers, you press them up like below your jaw and up like towards your ear kind of thing. It felt like I was going to the doctor. It was just instead of somebody else touching me in my face, I was doing it myself. Hochman has experience talking with and walking through calls with many of the doctors throughout his 11 years with the company. These physicians are so good at, at really sniffing out what that root issue is, um, even over the phone. It, it, it's unbelievable. It's incredible. Uh, and and uh, the physicians love it because it actually allows them to be so much more efficient with what they do. There's no waiting rooms. There's no offices. They don't have to pay for the overhead. He also noted the convenience of remote care while traveling. CPN Care offers the ability to access a doctor during a vacation, work trip, or weekend out of town since it requests the user's current location during the onboarding process. CPN Care also offers mental health services and counseling sessions, which Daniels notes as another aspect to his company's holistic approach to wellness. There's a mental health component to this. Uh, if you are having uh, stressed out anxiety or a child or your husband or your marital issues, or there's somebody in the family with substance abuse issues, you have the ability to talk to a licensed clinical professional who can help you through that need and can direct you to further help depending on uh, what you may need. CPN tribal member Catherine Ann Olson lives in Utah and had never utilized CPN's behavioral health services. 
The Moore family descendant heard about CPN care at the time she was searching for a new therapist. She signed up and it gave her the chance to switch providers at an affordable rate. This time I went in with very specific needs and very specific questions and they found some one who has 19 years of experience working with people with my particular struggle. She found the process easy and appreciated the additional, less formal check-ins with her therapist that the service provides. Her experience with online therapy has been much better through CPN Care than in the past, and Olson encourages others to find out more information. Just give it a shot to take a look at what's available and see if there's anything that you may be missing out on just because you don't know it's there for you. CPN Health Services and Call a Doctor Plus encourage tribal members to sign up as soon as possible. It takes up to 48 hours to process a new account request. Find more information about CPN Care as well as instructions on how to apply at cpn.news backslash cpncare. In the United States, synthetic opioids have become a token of drug overdoses. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, overdose deaths that included synthetic opioids, such as illegally manufactured fentanyl, rose more than 55% between January 31, 2020 and 2021. Many are accidental, and the problem has grown from one of addiction and recovery to one of public safety. Citizen Potawatomi Nation Health Services hosted a community overdose awareness event in May 2020 at the CPN Cultural Heritage Center. More than 130 attendees watched a brief documentary, Dead on Arrival by Dominic Tierno, and listened to a panel discussion. Advocates and local resources also set up booths and answered questions. The event sought to increase the public's understanding of the recent uptick in fentanyl overdoses, sometimes referred to as the silent crisis. CPNHS behavioral health psychologist Dr. Julio Rojas helped organize the event. In his experience, this type of substance abuse affects every socioeconomic background. It's just human nature to hear about something like this and think, well, we don't have this problem here. or We don't deal with this here. And that lack of information, it's just not the right attitude to have when there are dangerous drugs in our community. Now, we might say there have always been dangerous drugs in our community. True. But these are one pill can kill kind of substances. Rojas also notes these types of epidemics reach all communities. However, fentanyl overdoses disproportionately affect Native populations. According to the CDC, deaths involving opioids among Native Americans increased from 2.2 per 100,000 people to 13.7 from 2000 to 2016. Rojas believes that knowledge gives value to events like the one hosted by his department to help reduce involuntary overdoses. Knowledge is power and, you know, it, it allows us to feel like we can do something. Pharmaceutical opioids for pain relief, such as Oxycontin and Vicodin, include opium, which have an active ingredient traditionally derived from poppy plants. Oxycontin's popularity as a street drug exploded in the early 2000s. The synthetic opioid fentanyl is cheaper and easier to manufacture because it requires no agricultural equipment, practices, or harvesting, which allows illegal producers to significantly cut their costs and increase their profit margins. 
According to the United States Drug Enforcement Administration, fentanyl is 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine and was developed for pain management treatment for cancer patients, often as palliative or end-of-life care. The DEA also notes as little as 2 milligrams of fentanyl can be lethal depending on someone's size, tolerance, and past drug use. Their analysis of counterfeit pills found more than 40% of them contained at least 2 milligrams. Mark Woodward from the Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics told event attendees that now almost every street pill or any other type of drug the department encounters, including cocaine, heroin, or methamphetamine, includes fentanyl. They look like any other illegal or pharmaceutical substance, even Tylenol. So the stamps are going to look just like U.S. oxycodone. They're also going to look just like U.S. Xanax, and you're not going to be able to tell the difference. Oklahoma County District Court Judge Kenneth Stoner runs the Oklahoma County Treatment Courts. He described fentanyl's pervasiveness and reiterated people should be distrustful of street drugs. I know you think you might be buying a Percocet or you might be buying an Oxy, but that is, it is playing Russian roulette. He keeps Narcan, an overdose reversal nasal spray containing naloxone, on his bench in the courtroom. Stoner has seen program participants come back to court after relapsing who test positive for fentanyl without knowing they ingested it. According to the OBN's Mark Woodward, Oklahoma saw a 151% increase in fentanyl-related overdoses between 2019 and 2020. He also noted Oklahoma City area hospitals currently receive between 7 and 10 overdoses each day. Ultimately, we know where it came from. It's the drug trafficking organizations out of Mexico that are getting the fentanyl from China. But we're talking about right here on the streets of Oklahoma City and Shawnee and Tecumseh. And where we are finding the majority of the sources for the drugs that lead to an overdose, it is somebody that they know and it is somebody they trusted. That includes a boyfriend, girlfriend, or close friend unaware of the addition of fentanyl. Kiera Morris is the Business Development Director for Stonegate Center in Texas. She helped coordinate this event and has attended 18 funerals since the first week of January 2022 of individuals who died from fentanyl overdoses. She emphasized youth's inclination to experiment with drugs and the ease of access. We don't need to go and find a hookup someplace. All we need is Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, our phone's in our hands. We can have it delivered to our front door. They can drop it off in our mailbox. We can go to school and meet a friend. It can be something as, I think I'm taking an Adderall or a Xanax, and it is fentanyl. The staggering rise in overdoses, accompanied by the fact that many users were unaware of fentanyl in those substances, has caused many advocates to refer to them as fentanyl poisonings instead. The documentary Dead on Arrival, screened before the panel discussions, told the stories of several individuals under 20 years old who died of accidental fentanyl overdoses. Lisa Carpenter Grant spoke on the panel about losing her son, Riley, at 29 years old. He died of a fentanyl overdose in April 2022, despite being an experienced drug user purposefully trying to avoid synthetic opioids. Um, I think he thought he was smoking meth. And it was laced with fentanyl because toxicology found meth and fentanyl. I don't believe he ever would have used alone. I just, he was too smart for that. Um, so it was an accident. He had no intention of dying that day. 
CPNHS and event organizers welcomed approximately 10 groups and resource centers to discuss fentanyl overdoses as well as addiction treatment, therapy, preventative action during fentanyl overdoses, and more. Founded in 2020, the Oklahoma Harm Reduction Alliance offered free supplies and Narcan kits to everyone at the event. The organization's motto is Narcan Your Friends. Their table included naloxone, fentanyl test strips, and much more. They also accept online orders and mail supplies around the state. Okra Director of Operations Haley Ferguson emphasized they serve anyone and everyone. So we are really just about meeting people where they are, not where we expect them to be, without judgment or shame. Um, We are very big on linking people to trusted community providers to make sure that our participants are safe wherever they go. Ann Benson from Parents Helping Parents spoke to the crowd about the power of connecting with others in the same situation, including those such as herself whose children deal with addiction. We realize when we're connected... Um, we can have the power to, um, number one, understand our own wellness is important as well. This isn't just impacting others. Our own, our own um, health and our mental health, our physical health, our spiritual health, everything becomes impacted. Parents Helping Parents brings in panelists much like the CPNHS event, and she emphasized that while there's no formula for healing, meeting collectively can be what she called a game changer. CPNHS's Dr. Rojas believes one of the most critical resources is therapy, especially for young people, and combating overdoses and deaths requires exploration into the appeal of experimentation with mind-altering substances. We got to communicate that it's okay to talk to somebody about what's going on. Uh, and you can talk to somebody before it gets really bad. You don't have to wait for it to get bad to talk to somebody. But, you know, from my perspective, um, I think it's just going to be important to really think about what drives this, what drives this destructive behavior, what drives addictive behavior. Stonegate Center's Kira Morris also spoke about the life-saving properties of Narcan. She and several other panel members and resource providers agreed with her about the need to make it universally accessible. Because at the end of the day, we all need this in our car, in our house, um, in our backpacks, wherever um, we can, because you never know when you're going to be presented with a crisis situation where you're going to have to use it. And right now, it's every single day. It's every single neighborhood. It's every single person. Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Office Deputy Nick Doe carries Narcan in his patrol unit. He shared his story with attendees about saving a young woman's life just the month before. During an overnight patrol shift, he was closer to her location than a dispatched ambulance and arrived first. I realized she was overdosing and administered Narcan and... um, Before EMS had arrived, she had started breathing regularly. Her pulse came back. By the time EMS arrived, she started waking up, and uh, they transported her to the hospital. We later found out that that Percocet she had bought off the street was um, cut with fentanyl. Drew Laboon is the Director of Admission and Marketing for Country Road Recovery. He's a recovering addict and now helps others work towards sobriety. Laboon believes Narcan provides an effective conversation starter for parents trying to talk to their children about fentanyl. It allows them to discuss its effects from the perspective of overcoming an overdose. 
zero judgment while providing a solution. We're not going to fight this thing. We're not going to beat this thing and combat this thing in the judicial system. That's a fact. We fight this thing and combat this thing in our homes. In our homes and in our communities every single day. I think one of the most valuable things that we can do in our homes, those of you that have young folks or, or even adult children, when you're around together, tell them about Narcan. Linda Coop attended the event with her girlfriend and had no prior knowledge of fentanyl, its dangers, or its effect on communities across the United States. After listening to the panel and watching the movie, she said she was blown away and overwhelmed. I came because I wanted to be educated on this because I have no clue. You know, if, if you're not, if you don't have any family members involved and, you know, now I'm anxious to share what I've learned. Morris hopes to continue leading more events like the one hosted by Citizen Potawatomi Nation Health Services in an effort to reduce overdoses through knowledge. We're doing these to educate the communities. We're doing these to provide resources before it gets to that point, before we're attending funerals. Um, a lot of us here tonight work for treatment facilities. We work for resources in the community. Um, we've made a career in our profession, and our passion, and our calling, and our purpose to do just this, and that's to help save lives as much as we can. View the full panel discussion from the Opioid Overdose Awareness event at cpn.news backslash fentanyl panel. Find out more about Citizen Potawatomi Nation Health Services, including behavioral health, at cpn.news backslash health. During the tribe's 2022 election, District 7 chose to re-elect View and Johnson family descendant Mark Johnson to the Citizen Potawatomi Nation Legislature. This will be his fourth term representing the tribal members residing in Northern California, Northern Nevada, and Northern Utah. While he was born in California, his father, Richard, was born in Tecumseh, Oklahoma, and the Johnson family moved west in 1932 when he was 10 years old. The View and Johnson families have a long history of involvement in tribal government, both with CPN and nationally, and Legislator Johnson continues that tradition. He spoke with Hanukkah Podcast about the election, his heritage, and his hopes for CPN's future. That's been my mentality is, to, you know, uh, the servant's life, you know. And uh, when the tribe changed its constitution to form a legislative form of government, I started thinking about it. Uh, my dad kind of prodded me. He would have done it had it happened sooner in his life. Uh, but he prodded me towards it. It really didn't take a whole lot of prodding. But, you know, then I... Uh, decided after the first two-year term uh, when Tom Finks was the tribal legislator to go ahead and run. Uh, there was three of us in that first race and uh, it whittled down to two uh, person runoff and I was fortunate and lucky enough to uh, win that seat and uh, you know it's been forward since then. So tell me some about your family. Going back in history, Lewis View uh, is my great-great-grandfather. Uh, he uh, came out on the trail to Kansas, uh, was quite the entrepreneur, started several businesses in the Kansas area. Uh, that's where his daughter, Sophia, my great-grandmother, uh, met her husband, Jacob Johnson. Uh, they were on the reservation there in Kansas. They both had allotments there. 
And, uh, you know, we eventually, the family, once it started growing, uh, my grandmother, Sophia, or great-grandmother, Sophia, and her husband, Jacob, moved to Oklahoma. Uh, they lived on Salt Creek in a cabin. And uh, that's where my grandfather was born. Uh, we actually have a family picture of uh, Sophia sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair of that cabin, uh, pregnant uh, with my grandfather. You know, I uh, grew up, my grandfather uh, went to Haskell uh, Indian School, uh, later went to Carlisle through the assimilation program, worked and uh, spent summers working on a dairy farm in New Jersey until uh, he was finally able to get out of uh, Carlisle and come back to Oklahoma and uh, start farming his allotment. My father was born and raised in Tecumseh, uh, ended up migrating to California with a lot of other tribal members, uh, settled in Sanger, California. Uh, that's where I was born. My dad was a, I won't say a career military man, but he spent a good portion of his life in the military, serving both in World War II and later in Korea. When he got out, he became a cabinet maker and then uh, was involved in Indian politics in California. You know, it's something that I've always grown up around, took great interest in, and uh, kind of followed the people, the place of the fire into my career. You know, I worked as a in the fire service for 41 years. You know, it was a very fulfilling career, and I just looked at becoming involved as the legislature, as being able to give back to the tribe that has given me my heritage. So, tell me some about your career and what drew you to working in forestry. You know, the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection uh, was the, the agency uh, that I spent the bulk of my career for. Uh, with uh, just the outside work, the challenges of the job uh, to work on wildland fires, especially in the California climate uh, that we have. I don't know. It was just something that drew me to it from the age of like seven. My mom would tell me that all I talked about was being a firefighter. You know, it was a great career. Uh, you know, there's a lot of heartache. And, uh, goes with that job, but I wouldn't change anything. When I retired, I was a unit chief. There was uh, 20 other people like me in California. So I had a geographical area I was in charge of. I ran the Fresno Kings unit at Cal Fire. Uh, and being able to help people, I think, is, is what drew me to it. You know, you deal with a lot of people on their worst day and you try to make it better. And that's what I've tried to carry forward in my service as a legislator. Uh, when they come to me with problems, I'm very adept at solving problems and making decisions. So, Do you feel like what you learned throughout your career helped you as a legislator in any other ways? Being in the fire service, you're in a job that doesn't allow you a whole lot of time to think. So, you know, critical thinking is uh, something that it's very great to possess in your toolbox. You know, just the, the servant mentality of being a servant your entire working life and then just carrying it into giving back to the people that you're fortunate enough to be a member of. 
has really been helpful to me, I believe. Uh, you know, I can relate to a whole lot of different people because I've dealt with a whole lot of different people in my entire uh, life. Going back to, you know, when my dad used to take me to powwows out here and being exposed to a, a, a myriad of different uh, tribal cultures. The life experience that I've had, I think, has served me well as a legislator. Uh, it's been able to give me a broader view of what all is going on out in Indian country and certainly shaped the way I think about uh, tribal sovereignty. Tell me some next about your Potawatomi name and that experience being named and who named you? I was named by uh, Chairman Barrett quite a few years ago. My name is Wismethek. It uh, can mean a couple of things, depending on uh, the context you use. It can mean sweet as a tree or strong as a tree. And, uh, you know, it probably has something to do with the fact that I'm like six foot eight and uh, 250 pounds or so. It's uh, something that I hold near and dear and creator will definitely know me when he sees me. How are you looking forward to contributing as a legislator through your next term? You know, there's there's a lot of work that uh, we need to do. It's a balance uh, that we try to do as a legislature out in the districts. There's a good number of folks in our districts that are interested in the heritage and the language, which I wholeheartedly support and uh, want to make sure that they're exposed to that. There's a whole bunch of other uh, people in our district that are dependent on services. Getting people to enroll is another matter. It's a constant struggle, uh, kind of like getting people to vote. You know, I think uh, when the legislature approved the $1,400 uh, per capita payment out of the American Rescue Plan funds, you know, we had something on, on the order of uh, the high 90s, 96, 97 percent apply for that. And when we have people vote uh, in the districts, we have, you know, less than 7 percent uh, vote. We want to have people involved in our tribe. And one of the ways you can do that is by voting. I see our tribe as one big family. You know, we're all related one way or another. You know, we need to uh, get back to being a family. We need to lift up those that need help. Uh, we need to expand the benefits into the districts as we can. We're continually chipping away at that, but we need to solidify our heritage. We need to uh, solidify our language, but we are always have things that we can do. There, there's a huge picture out there that we have to be mindful of as a legislature. And, you know, I always want to make uh, sure that I represent the views of my constituents, uh, not just a few of the constituents. I want to represent all the constituents and I want to hear from all the constituents. It's, you know, fighting the good fight. And, you know, we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to hold meetings. We're going to continue to hold fall gatherings out here. I'm going to continue to ask people to come back home uh, to Shawnee and visit the tribe the last weekend in June. And it's just part of uh, knowing who you are and where your place is in this world. Do you have some plans over the next a few years for interaction and engagement? Yeah, the tribal chairman and vice chairman have told me that they will uh, travel to California. Uh, back when that was a 
every year occurrence, you know, there was uh, three, four, five hundred people showing up to the tribal meetings. Uh, when we hold them now, we're lucky if we get, you know, 20 to 40 uh, people show up. And uh, when they do show up, the first thing out of their mouth is uh, Rocky and Linda going to be here. You know, they hold a, the tribal chairman and vice chairman in high esteem. They always want to hear from them. They're very engaged uh, when we do a video conference with the uh, district out here and they're able to uh, be on and uh, speak directly to the members. So they always want to hear from that high level. So we try very hard out here to carry the message uh, back to our members. They're coming from uh, the chairman and vice chairman. So we will continue to have our meetings out here. Uh, I'll be excited to get the chairman and vice chairman out here. Uh, I try to work in conjunction uh, with uh, District 6 legislator Randy Payne because many of our families are intertwined. So I try to work very closely with Randy Payne. Uh, you know, I, I continue to try to reach out to members through the Conicon uh, to get people involved and get uh, their attention to different matters. So I will continue to do that and I will continue to email uh, the members that I have email addresses for. So what are some of your favorite hobbies and activities then, especially now that you are retired? You know, I really like being out with my cattle. I see it uh, getting back to my roots since my, you know, grandfather raised cattle in, in Oklahoma once he was back on his allotment from uh, his time at Carlisle. So he was always raising animals and providing for the family that way. I see I see it kind of uh, getting back to my heritage and being outside. You know, we had a pretty devastating fire here uh, called the Creek Fire that occurred in my area in, in uh, September of 2020. Uh, it's not what made it uh, made me retire, but it's what probably confirmed that I was making the right choice that year. And so I had a lot of friends that were uh, affected by that, uh, lost homes. So I try to do what I can still in my local community to uh, help people heal from that. Just try to try to live that good life and uh, make my uh, ancestors proud of me. As I spend a good time, amount of time reading uh, what's going on in Indian country. So just so I can be up to date, you know, I would just encourage uh, all of our tribal members out there, no matter whose district you're in, to reach out to that district legislator, give them your name, give them your email address, give them your cell phone number if you want. If I could have our tribal members do one thing, it's just be involved. Uh, it takes very little time. We do the bulk of the work for you. But if you just reach out, let us know uh, what difficulties you're having. And we may not be able to solve it today. We may not be able to solve it tomorrow, but we will certainly work on solving it into the future. Read more about District 7 Legislator Mark Johnson and catch up on his Hounicon columns at cpn.news backslash legislature. Email him directly at mark.johnson at potawatomi.org.
Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. Please share the show with your friends and family members. You can find CPN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Potawatomi. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Thank you, friends. See you later.